y'all welcome back to another episode of the jag of all trades our guest this week is kabir chimney the founder of sportswag and a born hustler through his work with sportswag kabir has worked closely with many athletes across the world including mookie vets and clay thompson kabir also graduated from the haas school of business at uc berkeley after an unexpected journey to make it there join us as we discuss sports in the bay area his early teenage entrepreneurial ventures, the growth and success of sports swag, his journey on how he went from no college acceptances to graduating from one of the top universities in the country, Clay Thompson and his dog Rocco, and advice for entrepreneurs wanting to break into the sports industry. Hope y'all enjoy. Kabir man, what's up? How's stuff been with you? Things are great out here, man. How about yourself? Living life, can't really complain. <laughs> it's uh, COVID, but what can you do? So, Absolutely. I mean, same thing over here, just, you know, enjoying the moment. It's getting a lot uh, sunnier outside, daylight save. It's no longer was it dark outside at like 4 p.m. So we're, we're so excited here. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So saw you had the big 49ers gear on. Uh, what's oh, your yeah. opinion this on the season and upcoming season? Oh, man, um, I think I'm excited just to see how the team's going to match Jimmy G coming back or not. The QB situation is going to be very interesting to see what happens there. Defense should be great with Bosa back, and I think Mostert's an animal on the ground. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see what a full offense can do healthy. I'm excited to see what this defense can do healthy. I think they got a great shot to win the NFC West and, and go from there because they're one of the most talented teams in the league. I was reading about, like, Kirk Cousins getting traded for Jimmy G, and I was like – Oh, yeah. I was mixed by that. I like I like Cousins personally. Like the man is uh, can ball out. Yeah, I think just the offensive line's been the biggest problem for us in the Vikings this year. But aside from that, I'm excited to see how the 49ers are going to do. L.A., Arizona, and Seattle all look pretty dangerous too. So it'll be oh, fun definitely. division to watch. Definitely, it's, it's going to be a fun division. I was just reading earlier today about how like, basically no NFC West team has cap space whatsoever, and the 49ers have like. 18 million or something like that, which still isn't that much, but it's enough to make some moves. And they got more or less all their important players locked down. So it'll be interesting to see what the rest of the offseason has for them and see how they can compete in that division. But yeah, I saw the Kirk Cousins rumors and all that stuff. Uh, it's interesting to see what's all been floating out there because they were Stafford first, Kirk Cousins, there's been Deshaun Watson, everything. So it's just a very interesting time to see what's actually going to happen for the future of this team. Absolutely. I think on the same topic there too, what team do you see in the Bay Area first winning its next championship? Yeah, I think looking at it, it's either between the 49ers or, or the Warriors. It depends how the 49ers come out this, this year. I don't think the Warriors have a, a shot this year with Clay out, but next season with, with that team healthy, Wiggins looking as good as he's looking now. If they add Minnesota's uh, first-round pick, which is what it's looking like, given that D'Lo's out for a while and it's only top three protected, so that team is going to look pretty scary next year. Salt on the wound, man. Don't be talking about that. Wiggins is just balling out since he's left the T-Wolves. I'm super rattled about that just because the way he's been balling out. I'm glad for him he has his own team there. He can fit in. D'Lo, I know he's got injured this year. Hoping he comes back healthier. Cat was out this year, which kind of sucked for us. But hopefully we bounce back. No, definitely. Definitely not. And like what Cat's been through this year with uh, COVID and everything and his whole family, it's it's been insane. Like, I don't know how he's still playing, but – good on that guy and like i'm glad he's making statements to to put everyone on notice on what actually is going on yeah i think with that being said to the cat is really bound through a lot i think this season was kind of he's out for a bit but next season coming back revenge tour t wolves and win championship Hopefully. calling it <laughs> there you go there you go sure so a little bit you like you've definitely had some experience working in the sports business do a lot working with cool athletes what's been kind of your favorite role model the whole time to keep you going and then why yeah i think there's two one obviously my dad he's kind of how i got into business i kind of looked into business because i heard overheard a conversation from him and like he's been very influential in letting me make mistakes and understanding that you know i am gonna mess up i am gonna make mistakes 
but it's not his job to control that. It's his job to let me learn from it and support me through it. And that's been amazing to have because I can always bounce ideas off him. And it's been great to have that kind of influence in terms of like looking what to strive towards as someone who he's always looking to give back in many different ways. And that kind of influenced a lot of how I started my business and how I started looking into charity ventures and doing more on the charity side and helping out donate and that kind of stuff, especially with athletes charities. And then second is Mark Cuban. I think his story of how he started his radio network, how he started kind of just going from door to door selling things. His story is really just, he came from kind of nothing and he built his way up and he kept working, kept hustling, kept hustling. And he's always looking to find new opportunities. He's always forward thinking. He's always at the edge of something. And I think just understanding how much he cares about what he does, understanding what kind of effort, how much perseverance it took for him is I think a huge influence for me because I want to be able to have that same kind of impact. And at one point, hopefully own a sports team, but that's all money dependent. But, you know, I think just kind of looking at, at his path and the amount of work it took and then the amount he gives back and the amount he is just a good person in terms of all the things he's trying to do is definitely a huge role model for me. Awesome. It's great to hear. Like I think everyone too, especially coming from the Indian background, like dads are always the probably the biggest role model because they basically hustle through everything to yeah. get to provide to the family. And then you always keep remember that forever grateful for that too. And Mark Cuban, like you can't go wrong with him. This man, <laughs> I just love this way. Like I remember when like all the, a couple of weeks ago with like the Wall Street bets, like he was telling how he and his kids like, are huge in crypto. He and the kids are huge on like yeah. meme stocks. And it's yeah. just hilarious to see like, he's always wanting to be putting ahead of the initiative there. Yeah. Definitely. No, definitely. And like, I, I've been investing a bunch in NBA Top Shot recently over the past month or so. And he just, he's been coming out talking about how NFTs are, are huge in the future and everything. And like, I think just seeing him with the crypto, with Wall Street bets, with Top Shot, all these things, he's always on the forefront of things. And then my girlfriend was telling me like, like I was talking to her about Cuban like a week ago and she's like, oh yeah, like he's like always in his daughter's TikToks and stuff. Like he's like always there. And everyone's like, oh my God, it's like Mark Cuban. I'm like, this guy really gets it. He understands what it's like to be relatable while still being a billionaire and like still, <laughs> you know, being in that echelon of, of where they actually are. Oh, for sure. I think being the billionaire too is huge, especially making it not in Silicon Valley, which kind of brings up my exactly. next question. You grew up in the Silicon Valley area. I mean, everything there is entrepreneurship related. Tell me like what were some of the, how it was like growing up there and like some of the cultural things you realized and differences you saw from some of your other friends who grew up in other places across the country. Oh, definitely, definitely. I think one of the biggest things that I realized was that diversity and I think just an open mind to so many things was a huge difference. A lot of people that I met that were coming from different areas were a little more closed off in terms of like opportunities because it was more, it was different than what they're used to. It wasn't, you know, as normal, I guess, but kind of the, the perception that I, I grew up in and the kind of the reality I grew up in was that everything is different and that there's no, no right way to do it because there's so many different options. There's so many different ways to do it. You could see guys starting a business out of their garage and becoming multi-billionaires, building trillion dollar companies. Like, you know, they're just going to the next level. Or you have people who will work their corporate ladder up to like becoming the CEO, that kind of stuff. Or you have people who will go off and become singers, they'll become artists, anything that they want. And I think seeing that and being in the hub of like technology and that world was kind of a very unique experience for me because I always love technology. I always love that side of things. I never went into business in, te in the technology space. I picked sports, but just having that creativity around me, having that ability to like balance questions off so many people. Like at Berkeley, I was asking people about like, I was looking to start up a tech idea at the time, still iffy on it, but I was just talking to people and they're like, yeah, like you can go to this guy over here. He has the resources for you to get the blueprints for what you need to be able to build out. This guy over here can help you code it. I'm just like, there's so many resources right around me that I don't even have to look anywhere. And everyone is coming to that area for that. And I think that's the coolest part is that it was a place where people wanted to be to bring their talents. And I think it's a big concept like brain drain, that stuff where everyone's kind of moving into places. And like, it's interesting because I grew up in the way that everyone was kind of trying to come to where, where we were. And it helps so much because you're able to understand the, how it worked there. And, you know, growing up in America, especially like my, my dad came from India and he was, he was explaining to me like how the experience was different for him because he went from India to Canada, Canada to California. And he was like, yeah, like it was a whole shock in like understanding how economics works here, how literally every single part of it works. 
but growing up in it, it's kind of like second nature. And now I'm understanding things at a different level and I'm able to reach out to people that connections have been made already. They already understand what the ecosystem in the Silicon Valley is like, what, what is going to happen in entrepreneurship and be able to say that it's okay to go into entrepreneurship. It's not an issue. I think that's a big thing that I've noticed with a lot of friends are like, oh, like, how did you do it? Like, isn't it so scary? I'm like, I guess, but at the same time, like I look around where I grew up and it was entrepreneur here, entrepreneur there, entrepreneur everywhere. I'm like, it's kind of second nature at that point where you look at it, like, this is something you want to do. And then I, all my friends who grew up were like, oh, I want to start a business. I want to start a business. I want to start a business. I'm like, that's kind of culture you grew up around. And like, it helps immensely in terms of where you want to go. So you said like you were, you were from the culture of like starting up. You also, well, actually started your own company going into the sports industry. Can I give you a little background of like how you started your company sports wagon? Like what was your journey with that? Yeah. Yeah. So it's actually a kind of a crazy story. I started my first entrepreneurial ventures. I think I was 12 years old at the time. I had overheard my dad having a conversation with my sister because my sister was asking like, how do you make profit for some class she had at the time? And she, they're talking about like profit and like revenue minus like cost of goods and all that stuff. And I was like, Oh, it's like an interesting concept. Like I want to learn more about it. And I started going on Google, started researching how to make money just because I was like, this sounds interesting. At the time I was like, okay, I just started reading as much as I could. I was just reading as much. And I was like, okay, what do I know in that space that I could, I could get into? And at the time it was sports because I knew sports very well. So I looked into, I was like, okay, what can I do? And then I found it on either eBay, I found on eBay, people were selling sports jerseys for like 40, 50 bucks. And I was like, how are they selling them for so cheap? So I started looking into it. I started looking into it. I found some bunch of people that are selling them back on Alibaba way back then. And they were selling jerseys by tens, twenties, thirties, whatever, but you could buy one or two at a time. And so I asked my dad if I could borrow $40 and he didn't think much of it. He's like, yeah, sure. I borrowed $40 bought a Darren McFadden jersey at the time and Matthew Stafford, I believe. I got both of those, put on eBay, sold them for 50 bucks each, turned my 40 bucks into 100 bucks, and then bought, I bought five more jerseys and just kept doing that and doing that and doing that. And then one day, my dad kind of just asked me, he's like, why is there $2,000 in my PayPal account? And I like explained to him what was going on. He's like, no, you can't be doing that. Like, that's, that's not allowed. I'm like, what do you mean? And then I understood like what was actually going on there and everything. I was like, okay, like he shut it down. He's like, don't um, go into buying those, those things from China and sell them in the U.S. I'm like, okay, understand. Makes sense. But now my curiosity has been sparked. And I was like, okay, like what can I do next? And then I think it was, by this time I was 13, I was about to turn 14, or I was 14-ish. And I dabbled in some other business ventures, like, you know, importing other things. I was just, at that time I was just trying to get my hands into everything. And then the Giants were going to the World Series in 2010. And I was a huge Giants fan. Like I was so pumped. And then I started getting into graphic design at that time. And I was just like, okay, like what if I made a shirt? And I started doing some like design and stuff. And I did like, it was like the MLB logo, but instead of like the logo, it was Buster Posey hitting. And like he had his like unique swing and everything. And like I I posted that up on a a site called Zazzle.com. People started buying my stuff and I was like, whoa, like you guys actually like this stuff. And then I did one of Tim Linscombe of his pitching motion and stuff and same thing. And people were buying it. And I was like, okay, I actually have something here. And then eventually got a cease and desist notice from uh, the MLB because I was using their stuff without, and at the time I was like 14, I had no idea what I was doing. I was like, oh, like, okay, let me just do this. It looks cool. And I had no idea about any, any copyright laws or anything. And I was like, okay. And then I got a cease and desist notice. And I'm like, what just happened here? So I was like, okay, shut that down again. <laughs> And then I think it was 2011 now when Chris Paul got traded to the Clippers and Rack City was, was a popular song at the time. And I was like, okay, like I want to make a shirt for this. Cause like, for whatever reason, I, I like Blake Griffin was one of my favorite players at the time. I loved dunks. I loved just exciting stuff. I was like, okay, Lob City, I'm going to make a shirt for that. I ended up designing the first shirt out there for Lob City. I had the first one out on the market. No one else had anything, any product out there, any merchandise, nothing. No, no one had copyrighted. I was like, okay, I'm good. So I printed up a hundred shirts, used the money from the jerseys and everything that I was selling earlier, printed up a hundred shirts. And then I just went on Twitter. I started messaging every single LA Clipper player I knew or any, any athlete in LA and asked them if they wanted it. I had Reggie Evans at the time responded to me. Yeah. <laughs> he responded to me. He asked, he's like, yo, can I get shirts for the entire team? And I was like, what? 
He's like, yeah, dude, we all love them. Like, can I have them? And I'm like, yeah, I'll send them all. So I sent him like, I think 20 uh, shirts, like all the big sizes, so I was out of big sizes. And then Vernon Wells, the outfielder for uh, the time he's on the angels. He is like, yeah, I need one of those. And then he got one, he posted a picture of it. And then Ryan Hollins as well on the Clippers at the time. He's like, yeah, I need one of those too. So like, that was kind of my intro into the sports world intro into like the athletes world. Because I, at the time I was like, I have no idea how I'm going to get into this world. I'm a 14, 15 year old kid and I have no connections to sports whatsoever, but I want to do this. So I went to Twitter, started just messaging people. I went on Facebook. I found athletes, Facebook profiles and I was messaging them on, on Facebook. Instagram wasn't that big at the time, but that came along later. But yeah, like that was kind of how I started out in the sports world. And then later that year, I decided, okay, let me make my first official line. So I launched a line of five shirts that I designed and I did the same method. I reached out on Facebook to a bunch of minor league baseball players and a bunch of athletes time and just being like, Hey guys, will you want to wear this? And some of like people I call really close friends from at the time were guys who were like, yeah, like I'd love to, like hadn't talked to them anytime before, like nothing, just like, they're like, let's do it. And I kind of started building a relationship and then guys are wearing them in the clubhouse. They're wearing them to work out and everything. They're posting on social media about it. And it started blowing up. And I was like, yo, like I actually got something here. And that gave me a lot of motivation. It, it pumped me up. And I was like, all my friends like, yo, did you see so-and-so wearing your shirt? And I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, yeah, they were wearing one. And I'm like, oh, like it's, it's starting to get to that level where like my friends were texting me like, hey, I saw your shirt on TV here. I saw your shirt. This guy was wearing it at, at, at the game. And like there, it was everywhere. And I was like, I kind of just started from like doing these small things and it kind of just blew up in that way. And like, it was, it was an amazing experience for me personally, just to, like see how that grew. But I kind of, Thing also also shows just how much these small little moments can help so much. Like if I hadn't sent that one Facebook message, I sent one to Blake Swihart at the time. No, I sent one to Matt Barnes. He was on the Red Sox minor league thing, and he's like, "Yo, I love it." I sent him some, and then his teammate Blake Swihart at the time, who was they're both first round picks at the time, he was like, "Yo, I need this," and then I ended up sending it to him. Jackie Bradley Jr. I was a huge fan of Jackie Bradley Jr. for so long, even from his college days. So I sent some stuff to him and then uh, Mookie Betts at the time also li- liked it. So like the whole, it literally, it just kind of blew up in the Red Sox organization to the point where like they were all wearing my stuff. And, and then like, it kind of just went from there as guys found out more and more about it. Like it was kind of going and going and going. And I was like, it just took off because of, you know, viral marketing and just kind of starting small, like one message just starts a whole thing that you don't even know where it goes. So like, it was kind of just, to me, mind blowing that that one thing could do so much. That's awesome, man. Like I didn't, I remember you told me about this like earlier on and like you're saying like, he messaged a bunch of people like on Instagram, but never really thought like started off with like the Red Sox and the Clippers too. If you're like, and also if anyone in the Warriors is listening to this, well, first of all, I applaud you guys for listening to this, but second of all, <laughs> this man over here is betraying his loyal uh, Warriors to go to the Clippers, man. <laughs> Uh, I wrote my friends all the time, no matter what. <laughs> Dude, Lob City. I, mean, I, I always remember those days. It was just, that was the biggest thing ever. Like yeah. all my friends were like, dude, Lob City about to go to the championship. Never made it far, no. but dude, that was such a fun time. Like I'm reflecting back with the NBA then and just seeing how really the emergence of social media just started just this whole yeah. rise of this. Yeah, no, definitely. It was huge because like, that was like when Chris Paul got denied to go in the Lakers and then the, everyone was pissed about that. And then he goes to the Clippers and then he goes and, and he's got John Jordan and Blake Griffin that everyone's like, oh, this team's going to win the championship. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. Curious too, like you were in high school doing this. So how did you yeah. really balance like your traditional school academic life with just having a, a business going, exploding like crazy? Yeah, not gonna lie, I didn't really balance it that well. In high school, I was much more focused on my business than I was on school. Not to say I wasn't still focused on school, but like my grades were nowhere near where they should have been, nowhere near what I could have done, I guess, grade-wise. But I was so focused on making my dreams come to reality at that time that like it wasn't as big of a deal for me. And so I made sure I did all my homework. I studied for all my tests and stuff, but I was also heading to AT&T Park every, well, I guess Oracle now, but like I was heading to at t Park every chance I could to go meet some more athletes, go like give out a new product. Like I spent almost all my summers at the ballparks 
I spent any time I could when I could go on weekends, that kind of stuff. I'd hop on BART and just head over to SF or Oakland and like just be hustling, working, getting product out to more and more guys, like meeting people, being like, hey, like, would you want to wear this? And they look at it, they're like, oh, it's pretty cool. Like, I'll take it. And like, it was interesting because, yeah, my balance was, was not going to lie, pretty terrible. But I was so focused on making that a reality. And I, that was what I thought was going to be it for me. And so I was, I was like, this is what I'm going to go do. Definitely makes sense too. And I think now and now there's a bigger emergence of students and people taking the non-traditional paths of like school where you don't really need to go to school or your education to get a business. Like you can just do side hustle too. And as well as like the entrepreneurial and experience-based learning, it's emerging. Oh, definitely. It hundred percent is. And I think there's so much to learn outside of school that people don't are, take advantage of it, but that's not to say school is not important. Like school is very important, but there's so much opportunity out there that you can learn and that you're able to get knowledge of that is real world experience. And it's very important, I think, for people to at least dabble in it. For sure. And kind of on the topic to the entrepreneurial self and as well as school itself, you actually ended up going to uh, UC Berkeley, to go Berkeley Haas, which is an amazing undergrad business school. You had a unique path to getting there. And kind of made me elaborate, like what was the way that you kind of pressed in maybe getting your experience in there too. And then some key things you learned while you were at Berkeley. No, definitely. Definitely. I think it, it's a pretty unique and strange experience overall. Like I said, I didn't focus as much on school in high school. I still had like a 3.3, 3.4, something like that. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't where it could have been. So I, out of high school, I applied to, I think 18 schools. It was oh no, 17 schools out of high school. And I got rejected by every single school. My safety schools rejected me. My reaches rejected me. The ones I thought I had a chance in rejected me. Not a single school accepted me. And I remember it was like, we're all getting decisions back. And I'm just like getting like these small, at the time it was still like, you're getting little letters. They're not doing online portals. It's like the little letters. If you got a big letter, you got in. If you got a little letter, you were rejected. And I just keep getting this little letter after little letter after little letter. And I was just like, man, this sucks. But I was like, okay, at some point, I'm going to get into one of these. Like, it's not possible for me to get rejected from everyone. And my final rejection came. I don't remember who, what school it was, but it was all rejected. I'm like, okay, now what do I do? And I was talking to my parents. They're like, okay, are there any schools you could apply for? Like, anything you could go to? And University of Arizona at the time still had, um, still had whatchamacallit, a role in admissions at the time. And I was like, okay, let me just apply here. I applied there. I got in. They gave me, like, $5,000 on an iPad and, like, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go do this. I've got nowhere else to go. Like, let me go here. And I had a decent business program and everything. So I was like, okay, might as well. And then my, I didn't accept, I hadn't accepted the offer yet, but my dad was like, Hey, do you want to think about taking a gap year? And I was like, what do you mean? Cause like I, that thought had never even crossed my mind. He's like, take a gap year, go work in your businesses. You can build a stronger application and you can go to a better school. You go to school that's better for you. And I'm like, that's not the worst idea. My mom was heavily against, she's like, you're not going to go back to school if you take a gap year. And I was like, in my head, that's kind of like what I was thinking too. I was like, if I take a gap year, like I'm not going back to school, like I'm done. But my dad would like argue with every, all of our family friends were like against it. Everyone that we talked to was against it. But he was like, no, like this is what you should do. Go build like a business plan. Give me a detailed description of everything you're going to do over the next year. And then you can go, you should do this. And I was like, yeah, like that, that helped instill a lot of like discipline in terms of like what I was going to be able to do because a year off from school, a year off from structure, at, I was also 17. I graduated high school when I was 17, so I was pretty young at the time too. It was very, very interesting because I also wasn't as mature as everyone else because of that. And so he's like, it makes sense. You can catch up to everyone age-wise as well. You take that gap, you work on your businesses, you can build something even bigger, and then you can apply with a stronger application. So, okay, great. So I spent that year, I killed in revenue, did the best, had the best year we'd ever had at the time, and then went to apply again. And I'm applying, I got, at this time, I got into, I think, two schools. I got into San Jose State and UC Santa Cruz. So I was like, okay, it's an improvement. I'm in two schools out of, I think I applied to 18 or 19 this time. Great. And everything's good. Everything's chilling. And then I go to my orientation for UC Santa Cruz. Cause like, okay, I'm gonna go to Santa Cruz. Like, this is great. I get there and I'm going through my entire orientation. I have a few friends from like high school that were there and everything. Like, oh, we all met up. It was like, cool. And then... I get there and I'm going to sign up for classes. So I go, my mom is like checking on the dorm. She's like, oh, this looks pretty interesting. Like, you know, you should live in this, these ones. And like, I'm like going through like meeting people, doing all these icebreakers, going through an entire process of like learning the campus, learning what the culture is, all this stuff. And I go to sign up for classes. 
and it doesn't let me. So I'm, I'm like, why is it not letting me sign for classes? And then I asked the, like the person who was there, like uh, proctoring that stuff or whatever. And she's like, oh, you need to go see the dean. And I'm just like, hold up. I haven't even been to the school. Why am I going to see the dean? So I go see the dean and she sits me down. She's she like, she's like, call your mom here and everything. I'm like, okay. So I call my mom. Like we met up and like we went into the dean's office and she's like, we're sorry to say your application has been rescinded. And I'm just like, I'm like, what do you mean my application has been rescinded? Like what? She's like, yeah, there's an F on your transcript here that uh, wasn't reported. And I was like, what do you mean? So in my high school, my high school senior year, I'd taken an art history class at the local community college. And I withdrew from that because I no longer needed that to get into the schools that I needed to go to. And I was a W, which I reported a W on my transcript. But for whatever reason, there was some cl- uh, clerical error or something. And that W wasn't reported and it was reported as an F. And I was just like, okay, what do I do? They're like, if you get it fixed, we should have a great chance of getting you back in. So they're like, great. So I spent the next month talking to my community college as well as the professor. The professor didn't remember me because he was, he was like, I don't know who you are. Like, you know, you were, I was there for like two weeks and that was it. And he's like, yeah, like, I don't see you on anything. I don't like anything. So like, there has to be some kind of mistake. So he wrote a full one page letter, like a handwritten letter. He's like, here, take this with you, send that in. And then they adjusted my transcript. So I submitted that into, into UC Santa Cruz. And then I was like, okay, they're like, just wait for the, for the, for everything. And then you'll hear back soon enough. And I'm like, okay, great. I'm waiting. And at this time now, I think we're in August and schools will start September, October. And I'm just like anxiously waiting, like, okay, like where, what, what's going to happen? Cause I had no backup that, that like, they told me that you'll be good if you, if you do this, I'm like, okay, that's where I'm going to go. And then my parents are in Paris for the 25th anniversary at this time. And like, it kind of was a whirlwind when I get a letter back saying, my appeal was rejected. And I'm just sitting here like, what do you mean my appeal is rejected? You guys told me this was going to work. I got as long as I got it fixed and I showed the actual grade, it was going to be okay. They're like, yeah, no, there's nothing we can do about this now. So I'm like, all right, well, there goes that. Let me call San Jose State. I tell San Jose State this, like the same thing. And they're like, yeah, because the error in the transcript, we can't accept you no matter what. And I'm like, all right, so now it is August. I have no college to go to yet again. So I basically got rejected all over again. And it's basically a month before school is starting. What, what do I do? And my grandparents were, were there at the time. And I was just talking to them. And I was like, well, I guess my only option now is to go to community college. Because, you know, there's nothing else to do. And community college already started a week ago. Like they had already started the semester a week ago. So I missed my first week of college because I didn't even know I was going there. And so I signed up for whatever class I could sign up for. I like joined like a philosophy class. I joined some geology class. I like any random class I could sign up for, I signed up for. And then I was like, okay, if I'm doing this, it's only one goal. I'm going to Berkeley or I'm not going to college. Like that was it for me. And I spent the next year and a half talking to the counselors at my community college. I just spent the year next year working as hard as I could to make sure I got a straight 4.0. Like that was it for me. I was going to do it. I was still working on my businesses and everything, still juggling that, but school was not the focus for me. And kind of at that time, I was like, okay, great. I started the counselors. A UC Berkeley um, admissions counselor came to my school. I saw already at this point, this is my next year. I'd already applied to all, all the schools and everything because I applied to all the UCs. I sent them an application and they're like, okay, Haas is the only school that does not accept your AP Calc, AP score. Because I got a five on, the, on, the AP, on AP Calc. And they're like, yeah, we don't accept this score. You need to actually take Calc 1. And I was like, why did no one ever say anything about this at any other point in time? Because every other school accepted it. Every, the rest of Berkeley accepted it. Haas was the only one that didn't accept it. And I'm like, so what do I do? She's like, so your last semester, you can take both Calc 1. You have to take both of them before you apply. So I was like, great. Now I've got another roadblock my way. What do I do? So I went to go talk to my, my Las Positas Community College counselor. And she's like, well, technically, you're not allowed to take Calc 1 and Calc 2 at the same time because Calc 1 is a prerequisite for Calc 2. But because you already have the Calc AP score to, take, to get the Calc 2 class, you can take Calc 1 at the same time if you want. So I spent my last semester taking both Calc 1, Calc 2, and three other classes. When I thought it was going to be a chill semester, I had nothing to worry about. I was then instead doing two calculuses, a science and like some other things that I was like, okay, well, let's see what happens. 
And then I was doing this. I was like, okay, well, whatever. It's, it's going to be worth it. I'm going to go to Berkeley. Like, you know, it's okay. And then I start getting my um, application results back. Uh, the first one I got was UC San Diego. And I was like, got accepted. I was like, let's go. Like, I mean, well, I got tagged into Davis, which was like the guaranteed admission as long as you get over 3.0. And I had a 4.0 at the time. I was like, this is it. I'm doing it. So I got in Davis. I was like, perfect. I'm, I'm already at a place where I'm, I'm much better situation. And then I was like, okay, great. What else is coming up? I got into every single UC I applied to. I got into UC Irvine, this like school of business. And I think they had like a 3% acceptance rate or something like that at the time because they don't accept anyone from transfers apparently, or at least that time they didn't. So I'm like, okay, great. Like I can do this. I got, if I get in here, like I can get into any school. And then UCLA comes out and they put me on the waiting list. And I'm like, okay, that's, that's, that's kind of slightly like disappointing, but I don't really care. I want to go to Berkeley. I heard UCLA had like harder transfer results. That's okay. And then Berkeley comes out and I find out I was rejected from Berkeley. And at this point, I'm ready to give up. I'm like, I spent all this time. I've worked this hard. Was Berkeley was the goal. I got a 4.0. Like, what else could I do? I ran my own businesses. I had everything. Like, I thought I fit perfectly. My dad heard about it. He's like, what do you mean you got rejected? He's like, you did everything perfectly. Like, you are a perfect candidate. I was like, they rejected me. I guess I'm going to UC San Diego. I found out later I would have gone to UCLA because I got accepted there. But he's like, no, like, appeal that. Like, they made a mistake. And I'm like, no, there's no way they made a mistake. No, we're going to appeal it. And I was like, I'd given up. I was like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to bother with this. I didn't write the letter. I know I an appeal letter. And then it's a final deadline to appeal. And he's like, if you don't do this, we're doing this for you. And we're going to appeal this for you. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll do it. So take a letter, write it up. I explained like, yo, my situation was that the Calc AP score didn't count. I didn't find out about this. So I then took Calc 1 and Calc 2. I got an A, I've got an A in both classes right now. These are like, I sent links to like, MLB TV network shows, like all these different like videos of like where I'd been on TV for like sports. So I had to show that my businesses were real. Like maybe they don't believe me or something. I don't know. But I was like, let me just cover all my bases. So I appeal it. And then less than a week later, they told me the earliest you're going to hear back is 14 days later, because that's how long it takes them to, to look at these. Literally the next Friday. So I applied on like the 14th on the 21st. I got an email back from this, this random email saying, congrats, you've been accepted. I was like, who's playing a prank on me? Like that was my first reaction. Like my parents at the time were like driving to um, LA for like their friend's birthday. It was just me and my sister at home and run into her room. She's like asleep at this time. And I'm like, I think I got into Berkeley. She's like, what do you mean you think? I'm like, well, I see this email, but I don't know who this is from. It's not from any official Berkeley, like anything. It's just some random lady at Berkeley that said, congratulations, you've been ac- accepted. And then I click on the link and it says I've been rejected. <laughs> and she's like, wait, what? You click on it, it says congrats, you accept, but you're rejected. I'm like, yeah, like, it makes no sense to me. And so then I went, I called my parents, I like called their admissions office. So I called the admissions office and they're like, oh yeah, I see that you were sent that email, but I can't confirm your acceptance status. And I'm just like, okay, are you guys like playing with me? Like what's going on here? Like I'm not even supposed to hear back for another week. Like this was like already unexpected. And so like my parents are busy telling everyone um, on their drive that I got into Berkeley. And I'm like, yo, stop telling everyone. Like I have no idea if I got in. And then Berkeley's like, oh, call back after lunch. So I'm like, okay, I'm gonna go play basketball. So I go play basketball all the time. And like, my parents are like freaking out, calling them like, did you get in? Did you get in? I'm like, my phone's not, I'm not answering my phone. I'm like playing basketball with friends. I'm like, I don't care <laughs> right now. I can't think about this. And I call out Berkeley. They're like, yeah, we'll let you know later. And at this point, I'm pretty panicked because SIR date is on Monday. And that's, labor, uh, that's Memorial Day. They were closed. So I had to SIR to San Diego or Berkeley, but I couldn't do both. So if I started to San Diego, I wasn't getting to Berkeley. And I was like, oh my God, what do I do? So I was going to wait out to the deadline. And on Saturday morning, I get an email from UC, from the lady who emailed me the congrats. And in the little like uh, description where you can like preview what it says, it says, sorry for that email. And I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. I, I knew there was just like a, a mistake or something like that. And it says, I open it. Sorry for that email. You weren't supposed to get that until Monday. Congratulations, you've been accepted. I was like, oh my God, I made it. I finally did it. And I was so pumped because I was like, okay, this is what I've been waiting for. And she's like, yeah, you weren't supposed to get that email until Monday. Like, congratulations, you are accepted. Like on Monday, you can SIR, like welcome to Berkeley, Haas. And I'm like, oh my God, is this real? Like, I still couldn't believe it, but like, that was the moment. I just remember like, I read that email and like, I have never been happier about something because it was something I'd worked for for so long, something that I've been rejected from at that point four times now. And I was like, okay, like even after my appeal, I thought they said I was accepted. And I thought I got rejected, but 
at that point I was like, this is it. Like, you know, this is what made it worth it. And like, it is an insane story, but I think all of it's made me who I am and kind of has pushed me to realize that even when people will say no about those kind of things, when you get rejected from something, that doesn't mean you give up. It means you work harder and you figure out how you can make it work. Dude, that story was epic. Like you, you basically <laughs> got the best pickup story, any story, like a campfire story ever. Yeah. I mean, honestly, that is facts. It is kind of sad, like with the call decisions that people like the times where it just was, it just was, a, it's a hard time too. I remember from my end, it wasn't the greatest time for me. Like I think I applied and applied to many schools. I heard back from two to seven, I got in. And I'm not complaining about those schools. Like I was happy with those ones, but it's like you have your goals on something and yeah whatever like whatever the failures are the rejections just give you feel to be better than them definitely definitely all the time all the time and i think like it's crazy because every everyone experiences rejection everyone will but it's about how you're able to get back up from that how you're able to bounce back and and go from there absolutely with that case i want to touch a bit more on like your sports uh, one sports back business itself you mentioned a lot about some overcomings that you did with your journey getting to berkeley and some stuff with the business itself yeah. but you, what are some things that like, you learned from starting a business in the sports industry within the tech center of the world? Like, what was your kind of journey? With, like, what was some key thing lessons you learned from that? Biggest thing was everyone told me I was doing the wrong thing. Um, everyone was like, why are you going in sports? You live in like the Silicon Valley. Why, why are you doing clothing? Like you're never going to make money. Like it was all of these things. And everyone's like, why are you doing that? It's like, go do something else. Like, do all every adult in my life at that time was telling me like go look at work in tech go start a business that's in tech go do this go find something scalable and i was like cool i don't want to do that right now right now i'm chasing something that i want to do and i'm working in an industry that i love i love every single part of what i'm doing why would i give that up to go chase money for something that i don't care about and like for something that i don't even know enough about to do something well in so i think yeah the biggest lesson i learned about that is sports are a brutal industry in general but once you're in it, it's a, it's a very close knit club and you can lose that trust almost like this. Like you will lose that instantly. If you make any mistakes, you mess up, you do something wrong. Like, you know, image is huge. Your reputation is even bigger. Like, you know, at the end of the day, and I think that's the biggest thing I've learned in working in sports is your reputation is everything. And if you are true to your word, you stick up for what you believe in and you stay with that you will do well, but it's all the people that do all the slimy, like they'll try to pull some, some stuff. They'll sell like fake shoes or they'll do all these like under the table kind of things. And they'll like try to sleaze their way to the top. At some point you're going to get caught, you know, it's, it's not going to work. You're going to burn all the bridges that you made and like, it's going to suck. So I think the biggest thing that I've learned is, is that be true to yourself. You know, you can only be as good as, as you are and don't compare yourself to other people. Like I remember I was like looking at some other business, like, uh, companies at the time, I think baseballism and routine baseball, like they were like blowing up in different ways. And I was like, well, damn, like, what am I going to do? Like I'm getting left behind. And then I started a women's clothing line. I started doing women's shirts and I kind of pioneered the the way for women's baseball clothing at the time. Um, I had every single NLV network reporter wearing my clothes. I, it was blowing up everywhere. I think at the time we had probably one of the most popular shirts for women's baseball fans at, at the time. And it was, it was crazy. Cause like that was an industry I wasn't as knowledgeable about i didn't know much about but like i had friends that were telling me like yo you need to do this and like my sister was like do this and i was like okay like i'm gonna go figure this out i'm gonna go learn about it i'm gonna understand what what the market is i'm gonna understand what they want and what it, it is and like everyone's complaining that every single women's baseball or sports clothes were all like overly pink they're like glitz glam and like that's not what, what everyone wanted that was like a stereotype that all the men working in fashion would kind of just throw out there but no one actually asked what they wanted and what, what women wanted and like understood that, you know, just because they're women doesn't mean that they want pink and like, they want like bling everywhere. Maybe, maybe people do, but like understanding that you can't just do that for everyone. And like people want, have different interests. And I think being able to relate with people on that kind of level was also huge for me because it gave me opportunities that no one else had. And at the time, no one else was really that big in the women's sports apparel. And I think that was a really cool thing to watch because it really did take off in a way that I hadn't, I didn't expect at all. I remember I was watching MLB network one time and Heidi Watney was wearing my shirt on intentional talk. And all of a sudden my phone was blowing up and I was like, what the hell is going on? We got, I think it was a thousand orders in that day. I had never done a thousand orders like 
in even like a week before that. And like that day, a thousand orders, next day, 500 orders, next day, 400 orders, next day, 300 orders. And then we sent out shirts to as many reports as we could. And it just blew up because everyone's like, I love this. I need this. It was a talk baseball to me shirt. And like, it was simple, but like very nice. And like, everyone was like, I need this. And I was like, being able to relate to that and understand like what people actually want is probably the biggest asset any company can have because you need to understand what the customer wants. And like that, like blew my mind when that started happening, because I was always so focused on like men's sports. I want to make friends with athletes. I want to, I want to get in the athlete world. I want to do this. I want to do this. I want to do this. And then just like this, a small pivot, my whole business changed. And it was for the better because I was able to expand on a new market that I hadn't even thought of before. And so I think yeah, just being able to adapt, being able to understand what customer needs are, just all of that is huge. For sure. And in that case too, like, that being said too, like what is something you, like advice you'd give to someone who's starting their own business that's not within the tech industry or within something that's a very consumer oriented product? I think the biggest thing is, is customer research, understanding your customers is going to be the biggest thing you're going to do, making sure your product is good. People are always like, oh, let's focus on the marketing, focus on all this. If your product is great, it will sell itself and you just have to work on getting it out there. Understand your customer, understand your product and understand that the biggest thing is that you're going to be rejected over and over and over and over and over and over and over. But that doesn't mean you quit. I remember like I had, I was at some point I was trying to reach out to stores to like carry my product and everyone said, no, they're like, no, we, we don't want to, we don't want to carry this stuff. And then I don't know where once Heidi Wadney was wearing my shirts on intentional talk. They're like, Oh yeah, let's, we all want, we all want these. Like, can, can you send us product to like put in our stores? I'm like, you guys had a chance earlier, not now. Cause like, it's, it's so frustrating to see like, you're going to get rejected so many times. Make sure you bounce back, make sure you understand what you're doing and make sure you have a plan. Uh, I think the, the biggest thing is have a plan because every time you get punched in the face, if you have a plan and you're going to stick to it, you can keep going. But when you get punched in the face and you try to adjust everything, you try to like change everything. Now you're in uncharted territory and you have no idea what's going to happen. Like, you know, so get a plan, stick to it, work as hard as you can on it. And rejection is going to happen. It's just a matter of how, how you're able to respond to it. So I think that's probably the biggest thing. Awesome for that, for sure. I think piece of advice that like every like student entrepreneur needs to hear and every person starting something needs to hear is that going to be the glitz and glamor of Silicon Valley or just the startup scene itself. Like it's going to be a grind and just kind of go with that. So with that being said, you sports industry, you've been able to be like, have your product featured on so many different networks, so many people wearing it. Kind of like a casual comp, like question, who has been your favorite athlete you worked with and why? Oh man, I don't even think I have, like, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I don't have a favorite, but I've had some pretty memorable experiences. I'd, I guess I'll, I'll just go with like team and stuff. Like the 2014 Giants uh, World Series team, like I was really good friends with Juan Perez. He was an outfielder, not as well known, but guy was a stud. He was one of the best field outfielders on the team. Like he hit a triple that everyone remembers and from one of the games. And like that whole experience for me, like I was constantly on the field every day. I was giving shirts out to everyone. I was like always working with guys. Like I was, players were ordering their own custom shirts. People were kind of just doing everything. So he introduced me to a lot of that. And I remember I was with them for the entire World Series run. I, I was at every game. I was, I was like, I went to every single game possible I was, that was in the Bay Area. And like, that was just such a cool experience for me because I was able to be there with them, feeling the emotions they were, like after the game, celebrating with them. Like, you know, all of that, that was so unique in such a different world. And like, it was so amazing to, to be a part of that because of what I was doing. And like, I made shirts for the playoffs. I made champion blood shirts. Like I, all these things. I did so much in that, in that time with these guys. And like, it was such a cool experience for me. And like, I kind of just want that, you know, it was an amazing, amazing time, but yeah, I, I'd say like another favorite of mine, I guess is Clay Thompson. Dude is a blast. Like do work with his charity events all the time. Like he is just a blast to, to be around. He's a great person. Like it, it's all the stories about him. Everything's amazing about Clay. No complaints whatsoever. But yeah, like I, I think there's so many guys. I, I can't even, I can't even list them all, but like, it's, it's really cool also when you get to see these guys like go from the minor leagues, go make it big and like, you know, start killing it or like see how their career progresses and like all the good they do and then they give them back or they win um, a title, they win an award, all these things that they've been looking to do. And I think it's just a really, really great experience to see. 
is it true that the there's the strong bromance between Clay oh, and yeah, Doc? 100%. At his charity event two years ago now, I was getting a piece of art signed for by Clay for uh, the auction, and it was him in his room. Rocco was like the center of everything. Rocco is is the king, you know. <laughs> Rocco was always there. Clay and Rocco is the most iconic. Dude. I think they might be even more iconic than the, the Splash Bros. <laughs> exactly, dude. Clay and Rocco. That's a, that's a duo that won't be matched. First things first, what's next on your plate, Mr. Hustle? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think COVID kind of messed up a lot of my plan. I was working on a few things pre-COVID that were a lot of in-person related things and that kind of got messed up. But like, I'm, I can't complain. I'm lucky enough to, to be in a situation where I am now. And like, I'm very thankful for that. But yeah, it kind of like threw more or less shut down my businesses at the time. And I was like worried like how I was going to pay rent, how I was going to do anything because everything was shut down. And I kind of, I've always been in the shoe industry for the past couple of years now, like been supplying athletes with shoes, that kind of stuff, like all that. And I was like, that's also slowly dying down because of when COVID started at first with everyone's like, what do I do? And I started just like looking into like selling stuff. I was like, what can I do now? Like, how can I make money? And I kind of pivoted at that time. And I was just figuring out what to do. And I started buying and selling weights at the time. Like that was kind of, I was like, what can I do to support myself? And, and I stumbled upon, like people were saying that these weights are like, crazy expensive because my friend's like, oh, I tried buying this Bowflex set on Amazon. And it was like $1,700. I'm like, the hell? It's like 300 bucks normally. He's like, yeah, dude, like, can't, you can't find anywhere. So I was like, okay, like I want to look into this. So I started researching about all that. And I started finding out, I joined like these groups that had like monitors for all this stuff and like just all these things I could to like learn about what I could do to make money and kind of flipped my switch into that world and just making money through that stuff and like, understanding that you know this is a time where things are very rocky and uncertain so i need to do what i can to like secure myself and like kind of pivot into that which was strange at first because i was getting ready to start a whole new line a a whole new clothing line a whole new like there's a bunch of stuff i was working on that i'm still going to be launching soon enough so like i'm excited about that like crazy excited about that but like i think it was a, a huge like shock and like change for my life and i think it was very thankful though. Like it worked out very well. Like I started like selling pools later on doing patio heaters, everything I could that, that was selling. I was, I was doing it. And I also got into the sports car world, I think in 2019, well back into it. I used to be huge into it when I was a kid, Zion mania happened. I got back in the sports car world. I was like, so pumped about it. Also like I've been in the sports car world as well, like heavily for a while. It's been a lot of fun. Things are blowing up. Like the marketplace is absolutely booming. Gary V is pumping the shit out of it uh same with logan paul like all like pokemon is blowing up now too everything is blowing up so like i've kind of just been dabbling everywhere um for now working on as many things as i can and what's next for me i think i've got a new clothing line that i'm excited to be releasing soon enough been working on these things for a while got street is more of a streetwear based clothing line some new other ideas that i'm also working on that i'm still in the process of figuring out how it's going to work but like yeah i think the hustle really never stops especially when you're doing something you love and like I'm excited to get back into more of that stuff versus just like what I've been doing to like make money and like, you know, stay, sustain myself and everything. And like, I'm excited. I'm very excited to get back into the fashion world and get back into doing all that again. And like, you know, I did a bunch of small projects and stuff here and there, but like, yeah, I think for me, I'm excited to, to get back into what I love. Yeah. That's awesome. Always, always hustling over here, which I love to hear. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. <laughs> so the last thing I want to recap to is, if there's one thing you would change in any of your journey, what would it be and why? Yeah. So, so I guess the, the cliche one is always like, I wouldn't change anything because it's got me here. And like that, that honestly is true. But I think this is one thing I have been thinking about a ton. And like, I guess the one thing that I would change is that I think I wanted to pivot out of clothing a little earlier and into something else because I got caught with a ton of inventory. I got caught with, well, yeah, I got caught with a ton of inventory that I, I at the time I couldn't afford. And like I was, I was very, I was wandering on a very thin line early on when I first started this stuff, and I was overextending myself way too much. So I think I would have wanted to pull that back and like understand like you know this is something that you scale as you grow, don't scale too fast. And I scaled way too fast at the time, and that put me in a pretty tricky situation, just because now I had hundreds of shirts and no one to buy them, and. <laughs> And that's always a problem, but like, yeah, I learned that that was 
that was shortly after lob sitting stuff. Like after my first line, I released a second line, whatever that didn't do as hot. Like I didn't design it as well, whatever it was. I don't know. But I was like so pumped by like how the success I'd seen. I was like, let me go print like 300 of these shirts. They're only like, they're way cheaper if I do it at 300 versus if I just print 48. And earlier I'd only done 48 at a time because I was like always like hedging my bets being like, okay, let's be safe. Or I was doing a lot of stuff on demand. And like, I think that's the one thing that I'd say I would have changed, but I also learned so much from it about how to scale properly because once you start getting into scaling process of any business, it's, it's tough if you don't understand what you're doing. And like now, right now I was scaling my sports card business and like I'm moving thousands of boxes of cards at a time. But had I not had that experience back then of like understanding how not to overextend myself, understanding not to just get too excited and like order all this because you think it's going to do well. Like I wouldn't have known how to build up to this. I would have just kind of gone for it and then been like in a situation where I'm like, okay, what do I do? And I think, you know, it's one thing I would have changed, I guess, just because of the financial burden and stress of it. But I think it was something that I needed anyways. It was a lesson that was, that's bound to happen. So I think the cliche of like, I wouldn't change anything is, is actually pretty true just because every one of these moments will build you up to where you are and every single moment will shape how the future happens. And every single failure is not really a failure if you look at it as a lesson. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that's helped along the way is that I think also that would be a piece of advice I'd give is that when you fail, it's not, it's not an L, you know, it's a lesson. You, you can't just be like, Oh my God, like this is, it's all over. No, you come back, you figure out what works. The biggest thing is trial and error. Like you're going to fail so many times. Like I failed so many times on my path here. But it's been those failures that have built me up to the success I've had today and like to a place where like I can be very comfortable with where I am. And like, I want more obviously, but like, it's no longer a place where I'm like, oh my God, what will I do if I fail? So yeah, I think overall, <laughs> that's probably it. Makes sense, man. I mean, you said it's an L, but like lessons start with the letter L too. Losses, exactly. lessons. Exactly, exactly. Don't take losses, take the other out, take lessons. Exactly, man. That's how you gotta live life. Cause otherwise you're in for some deep shit because everyone's going to take L after L after L, but if you can't learn from them, you're not going to go that far. Anyway, appreciate all the insights. Appreciate conversation today, Kavir. It's been, it's been surreal, man. Great talk again. Keep it up, man. Thanks again for tuning into the episode. I really appreciate it. I hope you all learned something really important and can use this information today to help better yourself and achieve your life goals. If you don't mind, would you be willing to either leave a rating on this episode, share this episode with a friend who may be interested, or always interact with us on our social media to make sure we can help better improve ourselves. And remember, keep grinding, hustling, and making the most of the cards dealt to you.